0: six months worth of inventory.
1: And we've got 3.2. That's what I was gonna say. You are now listening to the Real Estate Heavyweights
0: Podcast. You see this guy here staring back at you? That's your toughest opponent. Every time you get into the ring, that's who you're going against. I believe that in boxing and I do believe that in life.
1: Your weekly deep dive into DFW real estate, life and beyond. With your hosts, Tavis Westbrook and Ashton Hines what's up the real good estate morning. heavyweights podcast what's going on Tavis
0: I'm good man national coffee day up.
1: yeah for sure you national got your coffee, coffee day. yeah I'm I drinking got my gold trying to break actually. in try <laughs> tea. you didn't know it was national coffee day <laughs> I did not we are set to go the real estate heavyweights podcast so we we're trying to work out our format we've got things going uh a good buddy Uh, Josh Miller's helping us out and, uh, he's actually producing, you can't see him or hear him, but he's helping us out and been a huge, uh, huge guide in getting all this going. So as we move forward, things will hopefully get a little bit more smooth and polished and we're hoping to come to you twice a week. Uh, we are going to do a uh, Friday release of a podcast where we're going to really touch on news and, uh, sort of current events as they have to, to deal with real estate. And then we're gonna do some deep dives, almost like a, a real estate heavyweight uh, university type uh, series where we're gonna come to you every Tuesday is our hope, where we really go deep on two different uh, real estate topics. And I think we're gonna tackle uh, flipping and doing just uh, real estate investing uh, from, that's our, gonna be our first series. Uh, so uh, definitely pay attention to that, subscribe, um, anything you can do to send this podcast to people that you think might be interested in uh, learning about real estate and DFW. But honestly, the stuff we're gonna talk about as far as flipping and that sort of thing goes um, is gonna really pertain anywhere you are in the United States. Um, and then today, hopefully we'll we'll touch on some topics that are just kind of fun. And uh, real estate, and when you start paying attention, real estate is honestly everywhere. Um, and it's in the news, and so, um, you know, I don't know if you've been uh, uh, paying attention at all to uh, Tavis. Have you kept up? And I don't necessarily want to get political on this uh, podcast on a regular basis, but have you been keeping up at all with the uh, the Trump news on his his real estate up in New York? I have not. Yeah, man. It's It came out yesterday that evidently there's a judge that has ruled that a lot of his real estate holdings in New York could go be taken away from his control. And I, when I originally heard that, I was like, man, that is absolutely crazy. Hmm. So I was like, what would it take? What would you have to do in order for one person to be able to, to, uh, you know, take control? I mean, they're talking about Trump tower. They're talking about one of his golf courses, a couple, oh, maybe uh, a couple of his residences. So I was like, man, that is to, you know, to believe what you want to believe. It seems like overreach, you know, I'm like, that is insane. Um, but then I started looking at it, and evidently it comes down to investors. And so what he was doing, hmm. according to the news, investor group, and, and he would say it was, for other reasons, worth like $200 million. And oh, wow. so he was getting a lot of these investors to come in on these deals. And then it, when it was tax time, somehow he would deflate what they were worth. And he did this over the course of it. So anyway, I'm like, man, that is that is absolutely insane.
0: Wow. No, I mean, it sounds like exactly what was happening on the low scale of things back in, you know, 2005, 6, 7, you know, right. uh, or prior to that. I guess, I, I guess the discovery happened in uh, post-05, right? Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, that was what was happening in the residential world. People were inflating sales prices uh, or inflating appraisal prices, pulling money back out of it
1: and uh, how are they doing I, i saw the movie the big short so back then how were people doing that i mean were they like on a one on you know if you're talking about syndications and there's all sorts of presentations and maybe there's a value to a building, you know, cash flow, there's cap rates. Like when you get on the huge, huge commercial level, I'm sure there's things that I have zero idea about when they value it. It's not just the actual physical building. They're valuing the business and that sort of thing. So I don't necessarily sure. know how you'd even do that. But on a one on one basis back then, was it just way easier to get influence over the appraiser or how are they inflating value? Yeah, you could
0: you could choose your appraiser back then too. So oh, okay. that was that was, uh, now why that has all changed. Uh, and you know, appraisers were getting kickbacks and you know, that was happening quite a bit. And I was actually, you know, I was pretty green. I was a a year in the business and I had a group of people that I knew, um, (laughs) that were giving me these listings. Of course I was excited, you know, it was like getting these, uh, million dollar listings up in McKinney. Yeah. I'm like, heck yeah. You know, this is great, man. That's like $30,000 commissions. Right? right. And um, I'd go list them. And of course they were inflated and in what they wanted compared to what, you know, was selling. But they were having me just list them and put them on the market to show intent that they were trying to do the right thing. Hmm. But they had already screwed the pooch, right? They had already inflated the sales price or inflated the appraisal price Pulled all their cash out of it, and it was it was pretty wild. I had hmm. some firsthand experience with some people that were doing it, and they would basically, you know, kind of find the deal. You know, sometimes it was it was a pre foreclosure, it was an REO, or it might have been even a new build. Hmm. And they would they would buy it, and they would get other investors in that had really good credit, and they would put the mortgage in the other people's name and they were doing like stated loans. So it was just like state your income. you got a 800 credit score, so let's rock and roll. Yeah. And then they would get in and they would uh, push the appraisal up and then pull the cash difference out and then split it up between them. And then the property would just sit there. And hmm. you know, in some cases, they would put tenants in it at a very cheap rate just to kind of ride the wave, if you will. And I don't know if, you know, their full intent was to actually do that and like screw everybody or Mm -hmm. if it just kind of happened with the, with the downfall of the, the market, you know, simultaneously, you know? Yeah. They just kind of,
1: and I think a lot of times, you know, I've never committed fraud, but if, you know, I could see that, um, you know, if, if you do something and you don't have the full intent, you're not really intending to commit fraud. But you, you do something and it kind of hints at it. And then, you know, you realize, well, that worked out. Let's try it again. You're kind of pushing the edge. I could see it that way. Or I could see some of those guys, you know, you get upside down on a project and then you know how to kind of get out of it. You sort of inflate this one over here and you think it's going to kind of balance out. We'll just do this and we'll get out of project A. And like, I could see how it happened. Um, but the crazy part is, is that the, you know, the government and the rules it was they were so loose back then that there was no checks and balances and that's what happened after 08 all those checks and balances and all that sort of you know it would be it would be more difficult to do it now which is bringing it back to the Trump stuff it's it's crazy that someone who can you know who controls hundreds of millions of dollars worth of uh, of real estate can can still work the system in a way that's like not only is like, well, okay, we're going to fine you, but it's like, no, we are taking this, we are taking control away from that. So, you know, how the mechanism of that is to be debated, and is that even right, and yeah. can should one well, person and, have the power to do that, you know?
0: And to dive deeper, I mean, how much is this is something that he directly even knew about, right? right? I mean, and in, in that, in, in, I'm just thinking, somebody at that magnitude. You know this guy doesn't deal with his real estate day to day, you know what I mean? Like he's yeah. it, it, the way that he's got it structured out, and he sure the heck didn't do it when he was president. You know he wasn't involved in his you know real estate portfolio day to day, right? He wasn't got, meeting
1: an appraiser out at Trump Tower. And,
0: yeah, I mean he's yeah. obviously you know an owner and a you know you know the president of the board and all that. Sure. So I mean he's got to be involved when certain things involve him, but I mean, there's layers and layers of people underneath him that have the executive decisions to be made. So it's, you know, it's interesting. I mean, when you start thinking about the layers and layers of people underneath you that you trust that can make mistakes and it's not in any way just a defensive. I mean, he could have known about it, but I'm just thinking of somebody at that magnitude,
1: how much, you know, there's there's no
0: way that you can sit there and know every single move that's going on in sure. your real estate portfolio every day. All right. Especially a little bit more at, local
1: at that level, uh, a little bit more local. We actually, so Tavis, uh, and I, he was gracious enough to invite me on a brisket trimming to a brisket trimming <laughs> class the other day put on by the Dallas Mavericks. Tavis is a uh, season ticket holder. And so they put on these little events. We went down uh, to their practice facility, which is right across the street from the AAC uh, where they play. And as we're driving down there, we drove by this dilapidated but cool old hotel uh, apartment complex looking thing. And I actually mentioned, you know, Tavis is a big fan of mid-century architecture and design. And I was like, man, that's a pretty cool place. And Tavis, you knew about this place, and it popped up in the news this week, the Cabana Hotel, uh, which is right next – to the practice facility. It used to be a a really cool 1950s, probably, you know, hotel that actually was converted to a women's prison at one point, you said. Mm -hmm. It has been acquired evidently a year ago, but they've announced that they're doing an apartment complex that's gonna be partially affordable housing. It looks like it's about maybe like a uh, 64 income related or income restricted uh, units and then 96 market rate units. So, not maybe let's see like, I don't know, a third or whatever the math comes out there, but, um, they're kind of doing a little bit of a mixed, mixed use and mixed, uh, uh, income level apartment complex there. So uh, that'll be cool. To I hope they keep the architecture cause it does look like an awesome building.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, I was excited to see this thing go through, um, originally because the, um, you know, so I'm pulling it up real quick at the, um, uh, Preservation Dallas, which is the, you know, nonprofit board um that is basically in charge of uh, uh you know, they, they they seek out certain properties, you know, mm-hmm. that have some kind of historic um mm-hmm. tribute and they basically rally to try to save these buildings. Yeah. And um this was I wanted one to buy the they, Como
1: the motel in, in Richardson. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's old. It's going to be probably going to be torn down, but it's on I-75 and it's a super cool 1950s literal motel that's got a really neat sign. I I would I drove by I was flipping a house around the corner from there and I drove by that thing constantly and thought, "Man, that'd be so cool to turn that into like a retro uh, Airbnb feel and have kind of a neat cafe out front there, and it actually it went for sale. There was a for sale sign out front for maybe a day, but it wasn't listed online. I couldn't find any info on it, and then like the next day or two, I real you know the word was it had sold to somebody, so there was a big push over in Richardson for I think the community was trying to save it to try to keep it around, but you know it'll. Uh, it'll be a chilies or something. I have, it won't be. That. I, I don't think that's <laughs> highest something about, sense, you know? they
0: said something about parking. So I don't know even what's better. going adjacent to it. You know, if they're building a big parking garage, I mean, most likely it's going to be more residential, you know, apartment buildings is what I'm, you know, if I, if I was a betting man,
1: <laughs> if, it would, if we need one more thing around here, it's more apartments and parking lots. So right, it would right. be nice to have a Southwest egg roll. Uh, every once in a while in the Richardson area. Um, let's see. There was... Have you been over to Granite Park in Plano? Have you ever spent time over there?
0: At Granite Park? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Granite Park, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, up at North, it's the north part of Plano, right across is the uh, 121 from Stonebriar Mall. Um, it is an, an enormous, an enormous development, and they actually announced this morning that uh, Granite Park 6... 420,000 square feet of office space um, is now open there. And uh, that's just a really, really cool place, too. That's it's where like the boardwalk is, right? The boardwalk, yeah. Yeah, and, the boardwalk's
0: super cool. Especially yeah, and there's when a Hilton the right good. there.
1: Yeah, yeah, when the weather's good, and you got the Hilton right there. So if you're coming into Dallas, it's a neat place to stay because um, you're centrally located to the Frisco and you know, you got the star and you've got legacy hall and all that there. you got Nebraska furniture mart. It's a great place to stay. Uh, but they have a thing called the boardwalk where there's kind of a, uh, fountain. I mean, to call it, it's not like the Bellagio, but it's like, uh, you know, it's a, it's a fountain, but it's kind of cool. And there's a lot of uh, outdoor seating. There's a union bear, which is a brewery, a brew pub, really good food. There's a, um, kind of a Caribbean, uh, bar, restaurant seafood restaurant there um chips burgers is there. there's a cool uh, a coffee shop so yeah i mean it's a it's a wonderful place to go down and uh kind of walk around when the weather is great uh for a few weeks a year yeah, yeah. um so, yeah, and so
0: ashton real quick just wanted to go back to the cabana hotel real quick yeah yeah, so yeah. pulled it up so built 1962 developed by jay sarno who was also uh responsible for the developing properties in Vegas the Caesars Palace, oh that makes sense in 1966 in circus circus in 1968 yeah uh, 10 it story, has that 300 feel. 10 story 300 room hotel um, what it's known for is the decorative concrete screen mm-hmm. um, which is you know what we call you know breeze block and stuff like that but in this case it was just uh, it, it's uh, a screen it's that's built up highway, in front of right? Exactly. Yeah. So it kind of blocks out what you're. You can't see any doors, but when you're looking out, you can you can look out, right? Um, mm-hmm. Without an obstructed view. Uh, let's see. Uh, it says uh, they once welcomed famed guests, including the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, The Who, Jimi Hendrix, Richard Nixon, Norman Mailer, cool. uh, Raquel. And several women Welch was prisoners also a, in that 1980s. <laughs> Yeah. So then, and um, uh, um, let's see, going down here. Okay, it was converted to after the hotel ceased operation. It was then converted to Deckard Jail, which is now closed, and that was the women's prison, basically. And then there was which makes sense because it's right
1: across the street from the Dallas City Prison.
0: Exactly. So then the the uh, developer wanted to demolish it, um, but they pushed for uh, because it was mid-century. It was a mid-century building tied to cult- cultural history of Dallas. Um, they wanted to, uh, uh, you know, they decided to keep it. So the guy that bought the, you know, the company, the developer that bought and redid the Statler Hotel, um, oh, okay. is who who was last engaged in this. But that was pre-COVID, so something happened, obviously. And then,
1: yeah, it said that this development company that bought it actually is doing another one over on Seventy Five and Forest, another um, affordable housing. So somehow they're tied into that business model. I don't even know how that would work. So I have a, a formal patient that uh, that reached out on social wanted to help uh, finding a Section Eight rental, and on our MLS you can search Section Eight, um, but there is not a whole lot. And so. The, the need for affordable housing is real and I mean it, it's a, a problem that well, I especially with inflation and everything getting more and more expensive I'm sure it'll be it's something that has to be solved and there has to be developers out there there have to be developers out there who are, are willing to to work the, the financial system and take the credits and and pencil deals it needs to be done but I, I also know from you know a neighborhood and a social standpoint there is typically a lot of pushback and I can understand that so um, all right. So I want to get into, uh, checking in a little bit on, um, how things are going for you, Tavis, but I know you woke up this morning and wanted to talk a lot about, um, Taylor Swift and, uh, her new boyfriend, uh, Travis Kelsey. <laughs> so, um, it, and as it pertains, so what's interesting is about that, you know, I was watching the NFL this last weekend and that's all everyone wanted to talk about was, uh, Tay-Tay going to the Chiefs game. But, um, so what's interesting about it is they started dating. I saw this article that said, uh, Kelsey's real estate empire has nothing on Taylor Swift's. And which is it is a little you know, Tom Brady dated uh Giselle and or married, was they yep. were married, and for the longest time, I mean it was like, Oh yeah, she makes a lot more money than he does. I think she was worth like four hundred million dollars or something like that. Wow. Uh, and I think maybe he earned, you know, football wise hundred and something. I mean, he has a lot of, you know, deals. So this is similar. So it looks like, you know, Kelsey, he's had several good contracts, but I think I was reading this article and I think Taylor Swift is worth like $700 million or something. Uh, wow. and one, one funny, uh, uh, statistic said a close second to Rihanna as far as self-made musician females a close second and she was 1.4 billion. I'm like, look, that's not a close second. That's twice. So (laughs) anyway, so Kelsey has a a decent house and I think it's like a million dollar house in in Kansas City, which looks pretty sweet. I mean, for a million bucks Mm -hmm. in Kansas City, evidently you can get something pretty awesome. But she has $150 million worth of real estate, like eight pieces of real estate. It's crazy. She's got four apartments in New York. And they're all you know, 10, 20, 30 million dollar penthouses, which wow. I, I guess is an investment. I mean, I, I, I don't operate, I'm gonna break some news to people that are just listening. I don't operate in that world. Um, and having four apartments in the same city I, outside of just being a pure investment, I don't even know what you would do. I mean, I guess you decorate them all differently, and it's a different vibe, and you can kind of like hang out. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know. I don't even know what you would do with that. But um, I thought that was like super interesting. That he's got this million dollar house. I'm sure he's thinking he's doing pretty great. He starts dating this girl that has a hundred and fifty million dollars worth of real estate <laughs> all over the country. So um, with that? It, rewind how long have you and uh, tabitha been married 21 years yeah so rewind 21 years see when i got married i i had an air mattress and a bookshelf karen had a, a house <laughs> a paid for car no school loans i was like I, it was it was very opposite um and i don't know there is there's a part of me obviously that you say oh man that's great and you have this whole world of real estate all over the, the country and all that and then there's a part of me just kind of as you know as a guys like it was a little intimidating just having you know that would be weird i would feel obligated like mo like every time we go to the her like nashville <laughs> estate i would just feel i have to do something to like kind of earn my spot there you know i don't know. I, I'd have a tough time with it
0: yeah yeah that's wild uh you know it's 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 interesting i mean because when you're at that level, I mean, with a net worth of three quarters of a billion dollars, right? Yeah, I mean, you see that. You you see different uh, people at that level with just extravagant homes, and you know they just sit there. <laughs> you know, I don't think they do much from the investment side. Um, well, the you know, maintenance of you, something you, like
1: that you, has to be nuts, so too, right? I mean, you have a. I'm sure, and, and obviously,
0: house. I'm I'm sure it's divided up between several different entities right and there's definitely tax you know benefits and however they've got it structured is definitely you know it makes sense right yeah um but yeah i would uh, i would imagine they're not just sitting ducks that sit there collecting dust sure um but it is interesting i mean when you see that it's just i don't know it's mind-boggling i mean we've got three thousand square foot home now and uh it used to be like eighteen hundred square feet and then we you know, we added on, but I, we don't even go upstairs, <laughs> you know. Like right. there's eleven hundred square feet that I'm like always dreading going upstairs because I'm wondering what kind of mess is up there, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, Dion had that house I up mean, in Prospect for a while. Pretty lazy.
1: <laughs> did you ever drive by Dion's house?
0: Yeah, now that I I did. It, you know, and what was what's interesting with that, and you look at history, when that happened you kind of wonder like, wow. Right. I mean, he just, he bought this huge track of land. I don't know how many acres it was. I was, um, I was and, you know, good. had a private pond and a private football field and, you know, the whole nine yards. Right. And it was amazing. Um, and it was up there kind of before all this development was done. So you, you wonder, you know, who who got to him and who advised him originally to go up there and do it, especially on that strategic corner of Preston and, I forget the crossroad, but, um, you know, some of the Preston Trails maybe or something like that. But um, nevertheless, I mean, it, it was an icon, right? When you drive up there, everyone knew it was oh, Dion's yeah. house, right? And prior to that, acres. I think, <laughs> there you nice. go. So prior to that, he yeah. had a place over here in, um, in uh, what is it? Um, why am I drawing a blank? Uh, Willow Bend, right? Yeah, so he had a place yeah. there in Willow Bend, but then he went up there and bought that. Well, now what's interesting is if you look at that development now, they kept that estate, so that house is still there. Obviously, Mm -hmm. it was extremely gaudy for my taste. It was just money no object. That's what it says. Ten bedrooms, gold, ten baths, gold toilets, and (laughs) like a big giant round master bed. And I mean, it was it was god awful as far as the design choices. Um, But now, if you look, the the estate's still there. The house is there with just a couple acres and they fully developed everything around it. Yeah. yeah. So what he was able to do is, is buy it, enjoy it, sit on it and then wait to the prime time to sell it off to another developer. Yeah. And I don't know if there's any mixed use commercial on the, on that main corner, but that being an extreme corner, uh, Last time uh high traffic a area, store. I I think it is, you know, I think they, they carved off the corner, right. For commercial real estate. And then the rest of it, they, they developed into houses now. So yeah, like that house is still there, but everything around it has been fully developed. So it was definitely strategic, you know, when you think about that. So.
1: Yeah. Um, our last, last note, just a little quick hit this act. they, They said this on the ticket this week, which I just thought was hilarious. Um, Sad news, Kevin Costner is getting a divorce, which is really funny, this his wife wanted $40,000 a month for rent. And um, she one of her arguments was that she complained that her rental doesn't come with a pool house and her guests are gonna have to come inside to shower. So she needed more money every <laughs> month. <laughs> she was getting 40 grand, or they allocated 40. Or I was like, are you, that is, like, again, I don't operate on that level, so you know, i'm sure it's it's more about principle and it's a percentage of what's coming in you know uh but it is an it is a weird sort of uh oblivious argument to say well here's why i need more money it's because this doesn't have a pool yeah. house and you know how embarrassing it's, so uh um, who is it
0: that was a who is it that was married to britney spears kevin kevin,
1: kevin Federline, Federline, right yeah, K-Fig. there
0: was something I heard, uh, you know, on the radio the other day, and it was something like that. We'll have to pull it up for next time. Yeah, but it was something like that that there was Kevin was asking some kind of spousal support or or something that he was taking her back to court for. Some stupid, crazy number of what yeah, he yeah. wanted to be paid.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. so. Insane. So uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up here in just a little bit. I do want to make it a, re- a regular part of our Friday podcast to, to just do a real quick hit on a real estate topic. Um, and Tavis and I actually sat in on... Well, I didn't sit. I sat in on the class. Tavis taught it uh, the other day at Keller Williams. I'm actually officially now with Keller Williams. Uh, and so I... Uh, was at a meeting there. And the topic was um, seller's concessions. And so um, I'll, I'll kind of open it up and then we can talk about a few of the finer points there, Tavis. But in any, in any sale, on a residential sale, I'm sure it happens commercial, but we'll talk residential. Um, on, the, on the buy side, if you make an offer on the house, you have an option period. The option period is your uh, five to seven days, which is negotiable. And you, that is your period of time to get an inspection, and for any reason you can walk away for a pretty minimal amount of money. You know, 500 bucks, whatever you've negotiated. But you, get, you can have 15 people come in there and inspect it, foundation, uh, roof, whatever. But a lot of times people just hire an, an all-purpose Trek uh, licensed inspector. They go in there, they give a report. The realtor then looks at that report with the, the buyer and says, okay, here are some things that came up in the inspection and the option is you can accept that and say look we're good let's just buy the house as is or you can say look we need the this item, let's just call it the air conditioning. There's something wrong with the air conditioning. We need the air conditioner fixed. So you can ask for the seller to pay for. Just go go ahead and give me a thousand bucks towards closing, and I'm going to use that money to fix the AC after I move in. Or you can say, hey, I want you to fix this before I move in. And so we had this whole conversation on kind of the finer points of that. And so, Tavis, why don't you talk? You know, kind of talk about some of the benefits. Um, of like from a seller standpoint why would you fix some things and why would you just go ahead and make a concession financially
0: yeah so the you know i think the topic of the panel was how to negotiate repairs um you know in real estate or while you're under option right was kind of the 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 idea and i think a lot of people are struggling with this currently because we're coming out of a crazy market that we've had over the last two three years where you know, prices were, you know, we're driving multiple offers and, you know, we're we were such, um, so dominating in the seller's market. Right. So the seller could pretty much choose what they wanted, you know, take the price that they wanted and then say, you're buying it as is, you know, I don't care what's on your inspection report. I'll go to the next buyer. And so now, um, you've got, some people that are still in that same mentality and you have buyers that now are, are saying, hey, the market shifted a little bit, you know, and uh, we're, we're not going to go for that. Right. Um, so I think, you know, it was, it was interesting. Some people on the panel were, were talking some of the comments that they made. And one of the big ahas I took from it was they said, now's the time to kind of think about talking to your seller when you're doing a seller's net. And almost add back in 1% um, cost of sale uh, regarding uh, inspections. Yep. So what that means is like, if you have a $500,000 sale, you know, budget in about $5,000 that may need to be uh, contributed to the buyer or it, it, either in lieu of repairs, meaning that you're offering up Concessions or money on the contract, whether it's going to closing costs or whether it's coming off the sales price or, you know, actually doing potentially $5,000 worth of repairs. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, a couple of years ago, that was non existent. I mean, heck, do you remember, uh, you know, and Ashton, I know, you know, you've been in this a couple of years, um, but I mean, people were getting so creative on how to win a bid that they were willing to pay seller's closing costs as -hmm. a buyer so a a buyer would come into the deal and say hey i'll pay the the real estate commissions or i'll pay this right not only am i going to pay title and give you fifty thousand dollars over asking but i'm going to do this and this and this Mm -hmm. and i'll let you stay in the house for three months to six months you know i'll 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 buy you a steak dinner i'll give Mm -hmm. you you know it was like he was crazy. He did different incentives buyers were doing and agents were coaching to try to get people to win a bid because yeah. people were getting outbid everywhere. And then people would just get frustrated and just, okay, I don't care. I just, you know, I just want the house. I don't care what I have to do. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that was the the mentality that we were in. So not only is it consumer market that had that mentality, but it's agents too. So mm-hmm. a lot of times one of the hardest things that we, that we deal with in traditional real estate is uh the communication with other agents right and and i put it together a lot of times when you watch different you know shows or movies etc or just you know studying you know what goes on in the legal world between attorneys even though we're obviously not practicing law so i'll make that clear but th- there's similarity that we have representation on the buy side and represent representation on the seller side and it's very much like when you have a legal case and you have attorneys that represent both sides and those attorneys you know could be at lunch one minute right having a cocktail and hanging out and and whatever because they're buddies and then all of a sudden they're they're representing two different cases yep, and they have to come together on behalf of their client and so the same thing happens in our world you know that it's, it's a matter of kind of meeting of the minds, understanding what we know, coaching the client, and then trying to figure out how to collaborate it and, um, you know, give the information the best we can over to the other side and then expect that person to relay it to their client. Right. Sure. So one of the biggest things that I think was talked about, um, was communication, right? Just being clear and concise in the communication whether you're representing the buyer or representing the seller from either side of it and having the facts and really just kind of going through line item by line item and then kind of looking at the big picture of the equation and saying, okay, these are the things that were found in discovery, right? These are the things found during the inspection. Here's what they are. Here's what may or may not come up again on the next inspection. And or the next house, right? Whether you're representing either side and then let's try to dissect it and go down and look at the big, the big ticket items. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the funny thing is they asked me or well, they, you know, it was a panel. So they were asking everybody and I didn't get to comment cause we were running out of time, mm-hmm. but you know, and they said one of the craziest stories, you know, please tell us one of the craziest stories you've dealt with, with negotiating, right. um, repairs, whether it was on the buy side or the sell side, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I immediately looked at you because you just recently had that happen (laughs) a few months back. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I remember, I think it was like a Sunday morning or something. And I remember you like were freaking out and you called me and you're like, I don't know what to do. They had their inspections. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this agent was telling you everything you wanted to hear up until that point. Right. She was telling you how easy things were going to be, how how much they love the house and yada yada yada. And then basically sends you the entire inspection report. Yep. You know, asking okay. for everything across the <laughs> across I think it was
1: the sub. So this is a house I flipped. And um so I was already emotionally tied to it. I had spent months right. fixing everything up. I knew what was right or wrong. And yeah, I mean they they had twenty one points of things that they wanted. And I tried to talk like and one of them literally was there was a few slats on the fence that were loose and and they had they were indignant because they had a dog and so and I, I so I actually decided to take on a lot of that stuff myself and and it brings up this other point and you know, we can kind of get deeper into this maybe when we're in our flipping 101 type stuff but basically it came down to they assumed since I was a flipper I had just this endless supply of workers that could come in and just do stuff kind of almost for free in their mind it was like we'll just have them fix it but it all costs Mm -hmm. money and so the the thing that I learned was instead of trying to tinker and do stuff myself it's way better from a liability standpoint to just go ahead and pay. you have to pay someone get a receipt to show like this was done properly but the problem I ran into was I should have just Come up with a dollar amount and agreed to it because one of the things they wanted was foundation what the, there was a pier that was or a, a beam that was twisted so i paid a guy to go fix it well then in the process his guys accidentally cut the wrong beam and so then that so now and then the house is shifted again and so now a door doesn't close right and i'm like chasing all these problems And then they wanted to paint something and my dude dropped paint on the carpet that now they've already agreed that the carpet's fine, but now it's got a stain on it. Like it was just like this one thing after another. And after a while, I was like, man, I just want to cut a check and be done with it. Well, not Um, only that,
0: you had, you had timing, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're now talking by the time you get an inspection done, you get the report done. And I think she probably strung you out like seven days. So you yeah, know right to the end you on a 30 day contract i mean now by the time you get the information you've got less than 3 weeks to you know to tackle all of these projects yeah. right yeah. and get all this done like you said it's strategic You mean construction that has a system that you have to follow <laughs> yeah and you know well putting things so- first and second and third and fourth
1: yeah, my two cents is, and then um, we'll, we'll start to wrap up, is this. And I, was, I meant to bring this up earlier, and I wanted this to be a part of this normal podcast. But we live in the Dallas area. Right now, um, the, the average on all the MLS, which our MLS stretches over to Abilene and some parts of Shreveport randomly and uh, Wichita Falls. But um, on average, the average days on market right now are 22 days for our MLS. It's mm-hmm. not a slow market. Slow market means your days on market are through the roof. It's a small market. There are less houses coming onto the market. There's less houses selling. There's less uh, historically low people applying for loans. It's a small market. It's not a, necessarily well, a slow market.
0: A state. So a stabilized market is six months worth of inventory.
1: And we've got three point two. That's what I was going to say on our MLS right now. Yeah. Months of supply. When you look at the whole MLS, I'm looking at it three point two months. So it's still it it's still actually a really really healthy market and almost a seller's market because it's 3.2 there's not a ton of stuff out there it's actually moving pretty fast and so if you so this is where the education comes in you you as a buyer and seller and you as an agent that's representing people need to know the facts and don't just pay attention to the news where you think oh yeah it's a buyer's market now it's not and so if you go in trying to bully people around trying to Hey, we want this and that. And you take that posture from the beginning. Um statistically, it you're in the wrong, you know, you are playing with fire a little bit because there's a good chance there's going to be another offer there. They could wait, you know, and they say no. You could walk away, and they probably will get another offer and and another. You know, I mean, that's a game. But, you know, that being said is know your market, find an agent who's willing to actually look at the actual facts, not just look at the news and the sentiment of like, hey, the the housing market's crashing. So you think, well, I'm a buyer. I can push people around. And then it's just the golden rule is great because you think, well, if you're, if you're bullying people over here, you either just sold a house or you're about to sell a house and you, you want to go ahead and go about that in a way that how you would want to be treated. And so that, that was also one of the sentiments of that, you know, the panel was like, look, you're about to go through this. (laughs) Don't, don't bully people around. Even if you feel like you Now, that being said, get your best deal. Do do the best thing for your client? But there is, there are, there's decorum, you know, there is sort of a, a way to go about it, you know? So
0: when I think, you know, going back to the, going back to the repair side of it, the other big aha and takeaway, I think for everybody listening is, you know, coach your client to show up. So if you're, if you're a buyer and you've got inspections, be there the last 30 minutes to an hour at the inspection, walk through it with the inspector. Again, talking about communication, what the inspector has to put on the report per their rules and guidelines, right? The Texas real estate commission basically, uh, creates this, you know, inspection report that they go through and, point and click, and then they might put comments in there, but they have to either market, you know, deficient or, you know, in good working order or non-existent basically. Yeah. So, you know, in that, and they, they'll put on there if they inspect it or not, whatever. But at the end of the day, if you don't know what you're looking at, and again, us as agents, we deal with this all the time, but a buyer, you know, statistically, I mean, people, the average person, buys and lives in a home for five years. So if they, if they're only doing this once every five years and things change and inspections increase and everything else, people don't know, right? So you, you've got to be there to yeah. go through the inspection report, lay your eyes on it, know what you're looking at. And it was a good possibility that in your scenario on your house, that the inspect that the buyers were not there and then they get an inspection done, they get the report and then they're talking to the agent. And it's basically like, you know, the buyer's looking at the report going, this all looks bad. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm seeing all these deficiencies and goes back to the agent and says, you know, yeah, we want everything, right? We're paying full price for this house. This investor just put all this money into it. Why can't he fix these other things? Why weren't these things done? Um, And, you know, they need somebody to say, look, I've got a market deficient, but this wasn't building code when the house was built, right? Or, or. You know this or this right yeah there's a difference and, um,
1: between what's code if you are actually building a new and what's actually acceptable to live in and there is a, a gray area there you don't necessarily have to bring everything to code but you you do want things to be safe and and that sort of thing yeah well we could so we could talk for yeah we, that was an hour That was supposed to be an hour long conversation uh, the other day, just about that. So we can talk, <laughs> there's a lot of fine points. So all that being said is on our Friday, uh, episode, we're, we're hoping to br- be a little lighter, bring some news, bring some, uh, you know, whatever's going on in, in, uh, your day and t- touch a little bit on the topic of real estate, uh, the market and that sort of thing. And then we're going to get more of a deep dive and actual how-to type stuff in our Tuesday should- podcast. So go Tevis.
0: I think, I think today is almost two episodes, so we could split it up, you know, yeah. and just well, do we'll, we'll, two we'll, probably go a incre- little, increments. yeah,
1: we'll probably go a little shorter on our other ones. We'll, we'll get, we'll get it down. So, um, well, it's been awesome to, uh, get to talk to you guys again. Uh, please like, and subscribe. I never really thought I would say that, but it's true. Um, <laughs> share it with your friends uh, you know, as we're getting a little bit of traction, we, we really do want to, to, uh, spread the word on what we're doing. So if you like it, go ahead and like it and subscribe, uh, copy the link, send it to a friend. Uh, we're getting our podcast on all the different platforms. We're working on Apple and Spotify and Google and all that, that should be either up now or, uh, coming around the corner. So, um, just a little bit of technical details, uh, Tavis, tell everybody how they can get uh, in touch with you and how they can check out your work.
0: Hey guys, so it's Tavis, like Travis, no R. Uh, you can pretty much find me on all social media platforms. I'm heavy on Facebook, also Instagram. Um, Westbrook on Instagram and um, and Facebook. So if you, you just look up uh, Tavis, T-A-V-I-S, and last name is Westbrook, I think you'll find me. Um, mm-hmm. And... Uh, We're happy to keep going with this guys and, and please give us feedback too. So Ashton and I are learning and uh, trying to figure out what kind of content you guys want to hear and what we can do to, uh, empower your businesses and, um, you know, and and give you guys knowledge and information that we come across day to day. So we appreciate you guys tuning in.
1: Yeah, for sure. So you can find me, uh, I'm Ashton Hines. I'm the Dallas real estate guy on Instagram and, uh, different platforms there Um, yeah reach out let us know what you want to hear about Um, and if you have a house that you would like to sell or if you're looking to buy in the Dallas area um, I'm definitely in that market I know Tavis is looking for houses to flip all the time and uh, I'm in that business I got a flip going right now and I'll be looking soon so if you have anyone that you know in your life that uh, is needing to sell a house that's not appropriate for the MLS it's a it's a, a real crapper Uh, go ahead and let us know and we can help you out. So that will be it for today and we will catch you next week.